0: And the point is, uh, as we've been examining Jesus' prayer, we started with the Lord's prayer, many, many, I think June the 2nd, and now we're concluding with Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. And in between, we looked at several of Paul's prayers. And and kind of the, the thought behind it was, Lord, would you shape our prayer life so that it looks more like your prayer life or Paul's prayer life? And uh, quite frankly, it's been, for me personally, it's been a journey, uh, learning, um, and has begun to shape my prayers in a different manner, and I hope it does the same for you. We want to park this month in John chapter 17, so last week we looked at verses 1 through 5, and this week and next week I wanted to take, spend some time on verses 6 through 19, And to be honest, this morning, we're not going to spend a lot of time in in John 17. We're going to look at some some key phrases, kind of the skeleton of John 17, 6 through 19. But I kind of want to recap where we've been, okay? Um, So let's just start by by noticing a couple of things. If all you walk away from here with this morning is uh, two things. Uh, That would be great. They're very simple. Jesus prays and Jesus prays rightly. Okay? Jesus prays and Jesus prays rightly. Now I'll try to unpack that for you, but I want you to notice in John chapter 17, um, look down at verse 9. Jesus is praying for his disciples, whom he has just told that he's about to leave. He has just told them that one of them is going to deny him. He has just told them that one's going to betray him. He says, where I'm going, you can't come. He's preparing them for his death. And it's in that context that he uh, uh, unpacks for them that um, he goes to prepare a place for them. Uh, He'll send a comforter for them. That apart from him, you can do nothing. And then after all of that, Jesus prays, for them. he started by praying for himself, he then prays for the disciples, and then he'll pray for us. But verse nine, he simply says to his father, "I am praying for them." Simple. But don't lose sight of that little phrase. see Jesus as I was telling the kids he was always praying it just just a just a shallow reading of the, any of the gospels and you're going to catch Jesus praying everywhere let's just walk through the gospel of Luke for example Luke chapter one um, I'm sorry Luke chapter three verse 21 we read this Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, so at His baptism He's praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in a bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And so many caught Jesus praying in that moment. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Again, Jesus is caught praying, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And so it's not just a one-time thing there. It seems to be this was a habit of his. He'd get away to pray. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them the twelve. So he prays all night on a mountain before he calls the twelve. Jesus continues, chapter, Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, the one of the prophets of the old, arisen. risen. And then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. In that glorious moment when, Je- when Peter gets gets it for a, for a nanosecond. Prior to that, Jesus is praying. Now, I don't know what it means when he says he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. But they, they obviously knew what was going on. Jesus is praying. Luke chapter 11. This is what I quoted to the kids. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it, the, the reason they asked him was because he was consistently modeling prayer. Uh, he was one that they said, This guy knows how to pray. And so they asked him, Luke chapter 18, verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Oh, that's not the one I want. Sorry, verse 22, chapter 22 of Luke. Ah, yes. Simon, Simon, verse 31, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. I love this passage. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so there the, the passages, this is right before he tells Peter that he's about to deny him. And he says, you know what, Simon, Satan is wanting to, to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy you really what he's saying. He says, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And then a few verses later in verse 41, just Jesus on the mountain again, but this is the Mount of Olives. And when he withdrew from them, about a stone's throw away, knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, just a, just a, a, a shallow reading of the gospel, any one of the gospels, and you're going to see this picture of Jesus a man of prayer. He's constantly going away to pray. Now, we have seen, as we've been looking at the Apostle Paul, that he also was a man of prayer. Listen to some of the things he says. You don't have to go to these places. You can just sit back and listen. Or if you want, you can find them. in Ephesians 6, verse 18. This is what Paul, teaching the church in Ephesus, says to them. He says, we're to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He's chal- challenging the church at Ephesus in the context of teaching us how to, how to fight the battle, the, the Christian battle. And he sums it up by saying, praying at all times, all times. That's how we're called to pray. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19 for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's not it either. Colossians 1 verse 9. Can't read my writing. I apologize. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Did you catch that? This is Paul. He says, we've got news about you. And since that day that we've heard this, we have not ceased to pray for you. I don't think that means he was on his knees from that moment on just praying for that church. But consistently and constantly and regularly, uh, there was moments when he would pause to pray. But then even when, when, when he was walking through the day and he was thinking about the church, he was, he was praying for them. It was a consistent part of his life. You might remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. This is the first prayer of Paul that we, we looked at. And, and Paul, Paul says this in verse 10, As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul says to the church in Thessalonia, I've been praying, we've been praying night and day. Not once in a while, but night and day for you. In other words, this was costing Paul. His prayer life wasn't something like, oh, this is just a sweet little, no, this was costing him sleep. It was costing Christ sleep. Second, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, now Paul urges the church, and he says this, pray without ceasing. He tells them to do the same thing. Second Thessalonians, just one page over, verse 1 verse 11, we read these words. Second Thessalonians says, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. Did you, did you catch that? It's not on occasion we pray for you, but we always pray for you. It's in 1 Thessalonians um, 5, verse 25 that the Apostle Paul turns the tables and he says, Brothers, pray for us. So you've got Jesus praying, and he's praying for his disciples. You've the Apostle Paul showing us that we must be praying, that he prays for the churches that he's gone to, and even Colossae, the church he hasn't gone to. And we're, we're told elsewhere that he's actually lifting them up by name. And now Paul says, brothers, pray for us. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Listen to these words. Paul's doing the same thing. He says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I think he's going after the men specifically in this case. Not that women shouldn't pray, but he's going after the men because men usually typically uh, think they can do it on their own. Maybe this area they were known for their quarreling and their anger. But he goes, men, you should pray. You catch the gist? Jesus was praying for them. And, he, and we're challenged to pray as well. You know, I've been asking the Lord a question over the course of this, this summer. Been, I've been pondering Revelation chapter 2 and 3, where Jesus walks among the candlesticks He walks among the churches. He's with, with the churches, and, and, and he has something to say to each of the churches and there's, there's comments that he makes that are, are encouraging. He says, I, this, uh, this is good. And then he says things about them and to them. He says, this is not good. And I've been wondering and asking, Lord, what would you say to us? Now, I know there's two churches in one for the summer. There's been a gift and a blessing to do that. But what would he say to us? Revelation 1 begins with uh, this idea of Jesus. We see Jesus. Jesus is known as the one who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood. That's what the text says. And what would the Jesus who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, what would he say to us? What would the Jesus that, that is the one who is coming with the clouds, we are looking forward to the day that he comes with the clouds, what would that Jesus say to us? Revelation 1 tells us that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What would the beginning and the end say to us? I think one of the things that he might say to us, and you might challenge me on this, but I think he might say to us, yet I have this against you, you pray not. And when I got the you, I'm not just pointing at you, I'm pointing at me. Children are a gift. Don't forget that. Now some of you in this room probably pray more than I do. Some of you probably pray less than I do. That's not the point. That's not the point here. The point is when we compare ourselves to Christ and when we look at the apostles and when we look at what He commands of us, I don't know if we if we pray like we ought. And quite likely that each of us need to address that. Why don't we pray? I, there's probably a multitude of reasons. I'm too busy. But truth is, when I'm busy, I always find time for food. can probably notice that. I think it probably boils down to a couple of things. One, I think at the heart of the heart of hearts, I think there's a sense where we don't think we need God. I don't know if I don't think anyone in this room would ever say that. But I think often we live that way. And maybe even stronger than that. I I wonder if we don't pray like we ought because we really don't love Him as we ought. Pray without ceasing. Pray night and day. Praying for others. Now, it's it's absurd. I know logically I understand it. it's absurd to say that we, we that I don't like. I, I I go back to Genesis chapter five. Genesis chapter three. Adam and Eve sin. Genesis chapter four. You have Cain kills Abel. You know, pretty low point in human history. Right, first murder. Adam and Eve, when they sin, what they they there's already division between husband and wife, and there there's shame, so they have to cover themselves. We've been covering ourselves ever since, not just with clothes, but we've we've been trying to hide our 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 dark spots and our weaknesses and our brokenness ever since. We do that in the church. Gen then Genesis five. I, I just just a, you know. Then he died, and 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 Moses wants to just drive it in our brains that 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 because of Adam and Eve's sin, this is the reality that we in death. Now that's there's a physical death, absolutely. There's also a spiritual death. The Great Book of Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight nine. Um, Verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. That means every one of us, before we were a Christian, were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so we can read that and go, okay, those people out there are dead in their trespasses and sins. But then as I've been pondering Revelation chapter 2 and 3, I I, I can't help but think of Revelation chapter 3 verse 1 where Jesus is talking to a church. Did you hear that? Jesus is talking to a church. And he says to them, the words of him who has the seven spirits, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. Like these people were busy. They were doing things that other people thought, well, this is good. This is good work. This is good work. This is good work. But this is what Jesus says to them. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! So it's possible that we could be in the church and still be dead. And that the things that we're doing, they may look good, but from God's perspective, from the perspective of Christ, they're just dead works. And as I read that and I think about that, I'm going, well, who can raise the dead? I can't. We got, we got a lot of people in the medical profession in our church family. They can't. But there is one named Jesus who says, Lazarus, come out! Here he comes. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? Because only he can help us. Only he can do what we can't do. That's our problem. Not only do we physically die. But 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 we're dead to the things of God. We're dead to His mercy. We're dead to His grace. We're dead to His love, and we need Him to wake us up. And so we pray. Now I said there was two things: Jesus prays, but secondly, Jesus prays rightly. Notice in in, in John chapter 17, and we're going to unpack John 17 even further next week. But look at how He prays. He's praying for His disciples. Uh, I see three things he says to to his father for them or ask his father. In verse uh, 11 of John 17, he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them. Now, remember, Peter's supposed to deny Jesus three times. And Jesus says, I've prayed for you. Well, here it is. Keep them. Keep them in your name. It would look a little further down where Jesus says, um, uh, keep them. Verse 15, keep them from the evil one. We've got an enemy that's bigger than us, that we're powerless against. And Jesus prays for His disciples, and He says, keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the devil. Protect them. Help them to overcome the one that wants to destroy them. And then how does He pray? Look at the... uh, Uh, verse uh, 17 sanctify them in the truth your word is truth lord sanctify them in your word that's how he prays lord would you cause them to grow in their holiness would you make them holy would you shape them so that they be holy and blameless before you that's how he prays now notice what he how he doesn't pray he doesn't pray, God, I pray that the government would just be kind to them and, and would uh, be gracious to them and wouldn't throw them in prison. No, he actually says that's what's going to happen to you. He doesn't say, Lord, I pray that you just give them a whole lot of money so that everything, all their needs will be met. Now, we're, we're called to pray for our daily bread, but that's not how we prays for the disciples because that's not their biggest need. He doesn't say, "Lord, I pray that they're healthy, that they're just that, that they don't get sick, that they just like like they live victoriously." Yes, he wants them to live victoriously, but how does he pray? Keep them, keep them from the evil one, sanctify them in your word. That's how he prays for them, and isn't that how Paul has been praying for the people, the churches, and in all the prayers that we've been going through? Let's just let's just march through some of those. We won't turn to each one of them. we don't have time, but in First Thessalonians chapter three, we, we learned that Paul prays for the church there that their their love would increase and abound, their love for one another and for all. Do we pray like that? When I pray for Otto, do I pray, Lord, would you cause Otto's love for his wife, for his family? for his church, and, and for all people to abound more and more. Because quite frankly, Otto can't do that. That has to be a work of God in him because Otto's dead, but God isn't. God can cause. I'm picking on Otto, but that's, do you, you, do you hear and understand? That's how help Paul praise. In, in, in 2 Thessalonians, when we walk through that prayer in 2 Thessalonians, how did Paul pray? that God would make you worthy of your calling and may fulfill every resolve for good work. And so, so if we want works that aren't dead, good works that are actually alive, how do we pray? We pray, Lord, would you do this in the people in Thessalonica? Would you do this in the churches in Community Grace and Calgary Community Reform? Philippians chapter 1. Paul prays there again, would your, would your love bound, abound more and more? Boy, I need you to pray for me like this. I can, I can be cranky and like don't like people and don't want to be with people. and I need the people of God to pray that my love would abound more and more. Quite frankly, that's a greater prayer for me than that I would be healthy and wealthy. Like, don't don't get me wrong. I like health and I like wealth, but this is a, this is far more important. The Apostle Paul, praised when in Colossians we, we we looked at this, that they would know his will. That they would. That they would have the power to endure, saying that you're going to go through suffering, but the power to endure and to do that with joy. Hank was telling me last week, him and Sherry took, what, ten of you? Hiking, they got pelted by, they got to the top of the ridge and they got pelted by hail. And of course, there's nowhere to go up there, right? And... It sounds like they had a whole lot of fun, but they had a whole lot of pain. But he did, he did mention that group was so cheerful and happy and no one was grumbling, no one was complaining, there was joy as they were enduring. Well, that's a small picture of how we should, that's how Paul prays for the church in Colossae. That, that, that the church, when they're going through their suffering, and we all will, that they would be able to endure and that they'd be able to do that with joy. And isn't that, isn't that sweeter and more precious than simply simply saying, God, take away the pain? Now, it's okay to say, Lord, would you take away the, the sickness? Would you take away the pain, if that be your will? Jesus prayed that. Ephesians chapter 3, looked at a few weeks back. Paul prays for power in two ways. One, a power that Christ would dwell in their hearts. And I unpacked that and said that that's like, He's saying, Lord, would you form Christ in them? Would you shape them so that they look like Jesus? They can't do that. But Christ can. And so Paul prays that Christ would do that. He also prays that they may have strength to comprehend the love that is incomprehensible. And there he just plainly says, you guys, you guys do not have the ability to understand the love of Christ. But I'm going to pray that you can understand it. And then last week, John 17, I won't unpack that, but do you catch how, how we're to pray rightly? How how we ought to pray? You know, I think if Jesus was walking among us, and I, again, you can push back on this. You can talk to me about this. But I think if Jesus was walking among us, he would not only simply say, hey, guys, he, You don't pray. I think he would say to us when you pray, you don't pray for the right things, or you don't pray as you ought. And again, I'm not pointing the finger, the use plural includes me. I got a whole lot of growth to do in this area. And the question is, what will we do with this? Jesus prays. He prays for his disciples. He prays for them, John chapter 17. And then when he prays, he says, "Lord, would you keep them in your name? Lord, would you would you keep them from the evil one? And Lord, would you sanctify them in truth? Your word is truth. Would you sanctify them in your word? Would you shape them and change them?" Kind of been the theme all summer. So what do we do with this? Try harder? I don't think that's the answer. If you're, if you're like me, you try harder, it'll work for a day. I think if you be begin by what Jesus says to the church in Sardis repent. I so said, God, sorry, forgive me. I know I ought to pray differently and I know I ought to pray more and I, and, and, and I, and I know I should depend upon you for all things and I, I know I ought to pray without ceasing and I know that, that you should be on my lips all the time and I know I should spend some, even some waking, I spend some time when I should be sleeping praying. I, I get that, God, but I don't. Forgive me and then humbly just simply as 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 David did in his prayer in Psalm 51 humbly say lord would you would you guide me in the way that is right would you teach me to pray and rejoice in the baby steps and then and then yeah i go get get down on your knees and pray put together a plan let's let's pray Gather with people and pray. Wouldn't it be sweet that we've got so many talented people in this room. Gifted, talented. Jay over there is an electrician, working towards being an electrician. I'll tell you about my electrical story. Helping my dad re- renovate a place. just We were just changing a wall in a room. And um, we pulled apart the wiring. We redid the wall, and we had to put it all back together. It was just simply a, a light switch. That's all it was. It was like, you know, not, not really hard, not rocket science. I don't know what I did, but when we switched the power on and I switched the light switch on, the, the bulb over there in the, um, in the little lamp kept getting brighter until finally it went poof. <laughs> and I switched the light switch off and I turned the power off. And I said something's not right. I'm not I'm not the brightest guy on the planet, but so then I called a friend. Jay wasn't on the scene at that time. I called a friend who was traveling somewhere and I said, "This is what we did. This is what happened. Could you help me?" And he says, "Okay, well, look at the describe to me the wiring in the the box, and so I'm telling him what I did, and he goes, oh, well, you need to switch this and this, and I I, I can't remember, but it was pretty simple. Some of you are probably laughing because you know exactly what I did. I, I thank God that we have electricians that when I turn the lights on at home, that doesn't happen all the time. But wouldn't it be neat if, as Jay is working day after day after day, that he's praying for, not only that he can do his job and do it well, but he's praying for his family and he's praying for you. He's praying that your love would abound more and more, that you would grow in in, in, in the grace and knowledge of God, that you would know his will, that you'd understand the love of God, that he's praying for you. And, and he's praying for the people that's going to live in the house that he's fixing, that he's, that he's doing the, the wiring in. Uh, like, I believe that that if that's us, Some of you who are engineers, I'm, I'm thankful every time I would drive across that Crowchild Bridge that there's engineers who are actually planning on how to expand that because I, I really am baffled. How do you make a bridge bigger and it and actually going to hold more cars? I sure hope it doesn't cave in, but I believe that those, uh, those engineers know what they're doing. We have a number of engineers in our room. Wouldn't it be amazing if those engineers were not only as they're, they're as they're spending time on their work, when they have a moment, that they, they pause to pray for th- for their family, that their love would abound more and more. They're praying that God would use them as they as a as they do their work for the glory of God. They're praying for the people who are going to drive across the bridge. It, like, do, 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 are we a people of prayer, and is it a prayer without ceasing? I guess what I'm asking and what I'm saying is I sure hope that we become a church of praise. There's no way that our neighborhood or our children will come to the Lord unless we ask the one who can awake the dead. And there's no way that we're going to grow in the Lord unless we ask the one who can awake us to grow in the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, I love you, but I know that my love for you is shallow and isn't what it ought to be. And I pray that you'd help me and help us to love you more, help us understand the depth of your love. Even as we sang it, Lord, I don't think we grasp it. I don't, I, don't, I don't grasp it. But thank you that you wash my sin away, that you bore the wrath of God, that you give me a joy and a gladness and a hope of future to look forward to. Thank you. Lord, would you arouse us from our sleepiness? and Would you cause us to, 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 to fall on our knees on a regular and consistent basis and pray and ask you to do what only you can do? To wake up a neighborhood that needs to hear about you and know you. To, to wake up neighbors and friends who, who have walked away from you. To wake up loved ones who don't want nothing to do with you. Even to waken us up. To understand who you are and what you've done. And so Father, I pray that you would help us to pray. And Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us for not praying and forgive us for not praying rightly. Constantly just praying about us. Lord, help us to pray how you'd have us to pray. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd allow us to watch you work as only you are capable of. Lord, truth is none of us measure up. We all fall short. This, this, This message sounds so much like law, but Help us to gather around the table and remember your grace. In your precious name we pray, amen. Hank, could I get you to help me? and he took the cup and he says as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me and there is something powerful when we gather around the table and we pause to remember him and so we just we're just simply obeying him and we want to remember him but if you're a follower of christ you're welcome to come this is for anybody who's said yes i believe in him i follow him i love him i I want to serve Him. Not that we do that perfectly, as you have heard, but you're welcome to come. If there's something that you've, that that there's a wrong between you and somebody else and you need to make that right, I would say stay in your seat. Take care of that, if you can, do that right here. Um, But if you can't, stay in your seat. Get on the phone when you get home. Take care of that relationship. And then next week, Come. And enjoy what he's done, but come, let's uh, let's do it together. Hank, I'll let you. I'll pull over here. Maybe yeah, that's good.